0: do please have uh, Luke chapter 18 open. We're going to read it together, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, do please help us now as we look at, this, as we look at your word and as we think about uh, responding rightly to you as your disciples. Uh, speak to us, please, and uh, thrill our hearts with the joy of knowing who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been lost? I I don't mean messing around lost. I remember when I was on long service leave just over 10 years ago in Florence. Uh, One of my favourite things to do was to walk around until I got lost and then try to find my way back home again. It's a great way to discover a city, great fun. That's not the sort of lost I'm talking about here. I'm talking about really lost, dangerous lost, Many years ago, when I was living just in the ministry house there, we were having Bible study. And uh, at the beginning of the study, we got a phone call from one of our members. Uh, I don't want to embarrass him, so I won't tell you his name. Actually, yes, I will. His name is Sean. Um, (laughs) Sean, uh, Sean rang us at the beginning of the Bible study and he said, I went for a bushwalk by myself up here in the Blue Mountains and now I'm lost. I've got about an hour of daylight left. I have no idea where I am. I have no food, I've run out of water. He said, I don't think I'll be at Bible study tonight. (laughs) One of the better excuses I've heard over the years for missing Bible study, I have to say. We said to Sean, what are you going to do now? He said, I don't know. We said, well, you better call the police or search and rescue or something like that. Call them and call us back. He called back a little bit later. He said, I've spoken to search and rescue They've been able to locate me because of my telephone, but it's too late in the day now. I have to stay the night here in the bush, uh, lost in the bush, and I have to get off the phone now because if my battery runs out, they won't be able to find me. Um, next morning, Sean rang again. He was in tears. He said, I've slept the night on the ground under a tree. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm freezing. I've woken up covered in dew, I'm covered in prickles, but the worst thing, I'm covered in cobwebs. <laughs> Spiders must have been crawling all over me during the night making webs. <laughs> That's the sort of lost I'm talking about. <laughs> have you ever been really lost? It's it's scary. It's scary. You you don't know where you are. You can't help yourself. You need to be rescued. Well, over these last couple of weeks in Luke's Gospel, we've seen that our situation is a bit like that when it comes to God. We can't find our own way into eternal life. We're lost when it comes to being in God's kingdom. We need to be rescued. We've seen a number of stories about it over these last couple of weeks, haven't we? Remember the the poor widow couldn't help herself, and, and so she persistently asked for help. Or the tax collector, who, unlike the Pharisee, begged God for mercy. Or you remember the helpless little babies, couldn't do anything to save themselves. Or Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little baby will never enter it. And then immediately before today's passage, Jesus has been talking to the rich ruler. Do you remember him? He challenged him to give up everything and follow him. Rich ruler couldn't do it. And Jesus then told the crowd, It's impossible for people to save themselves. It's impossible for even the most religious, most blessed, most godly people to inherit eternal life. It's like trying to get, remember, a camel through the eye of a needle. But, Jesus said, What is impossible for people is possible for God. So just have a quick look with me at verse 27. We did this last week, but we're just uh, to get us back in the picture. Verse 27, Luke chapter 18 and verse 27. Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now as we come into today's passage, Peter is a, he's a bit put off by what Jesus is saying. I mean, he's left everything to follow Jesus, and now Jesus is saying it's impossible for people to save themselves, impossible to do anything to inherit eternal life. Uh, So all this stuff he's given up is not going to give him a place in God's kingdom. So has Peter wasted his time? Has he made a big mistake giving up everything to follow Jesus? Jesus says no. He says there's no mistake To give up stuff for him. Jesus says whoever gives up anything for him. Will be more than generously compensated. Both in this life. And in God's eternal kingdom. You can't buy eternal life. But what you give up for Jesus. Will not be forgotten. It will receive its reward. Verse 28. Peter said to him. We've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you. Jesus said to them. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. What do you reckon Jesus means there when he tells Peter he'll get many times as much? Homes, wives, siblings, parents or children in this age? What do you think he's talking about there? I don't think it's some kind of prosperity gospel, Uh, do you? I don't don't particularly want lots of wives. I've got enough brothers and sisters and parents and children. Um, But uh, I I think he's talking about church, don't you? you? The the fact that Peter's become part of a new community, a new family, a, a community and family that not even death will finally separate. But the thing is, for Peter and the disciples, they're still got a bit of prosperity gospel in their heads i think they, they don't really understand what to expect from jesus they're still thinking jesus is going to have an earthly kingdom they're still hoping to to you know he'll conquer the romans set up a palace and they'll sit on thrones having slaves giving them massages and manicures all day long or something like that and, and, and so jesus takes them aside and he reminds them again remember what we're doing here we're on our way to jerusalem where i will suffer and die Only then will I rise again. Jesus is saying to them again, as he said it, I think, half a dozen times at least now, his kingdom will not be an earthly kingdom. His kingdom will be a heavenly kingdom. Verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to matter how often Jesus tells them the same thing. The disciples still just they cannot wrap their heads around it. Verse 34. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So Jesus and his disciples, on this trip to Jerusalem, they now approach a city called Jericho. Uh, we're only about 40 kilometers from Jerusalem now. And here in Jericho, Jesus has two very, very significant interactions. And these interactions, I think Luke has set them up as, 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 as a model. Here is a model of right response. There are two models of right response to Jesus. Uh, so, first, there's a, a blind beggar. He finds out that Jesus is coming, and he calls out to Jesus as son of David. Son of David. What do, you, what do you think I one means? mean? Son of David. David, of course, is King David, isn't he? Uh, Jesus can't be King David's son because David lived a 1,000 years before Jesus. Uh, but he's saying he's from David's family. And significantly, God had made a promise to David. God had made a promise to David that one of his sons would rule over his kingdom forever. Well, this beggar, beggar apparently he's blind, but he can see clearly... That Jesus is, in fact, this son of David, this promised king who will rule God's kingdom. People try to stop him from calling out to Jesus, but nothing can stop him. Like the persistent widow, he keeps on begging Jesus for mercy. Jesus heals him, and then he joyfully praises God and follows Jesus. Verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Or literally, your faith has saved you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now, if you think about it, this beggar has done exactly what Jesus has been talking about over this last couple of chapters. Uh, Like the widow, he kept on begging Jesus and didn't give up. Like the tax collector, in Jesus' next parable, he's humbly asked for mercy. He realises he's as helpless as a little baby, and so he's dependent on Jesus. Unlike the rich ruler in the last story, this beggar isn't thinking he can do anything to save himself. He knows it's impossible, but he's asking Jesus to do the impossible, to heal him, to save him. And unlike the rich ruler, he is willing to follow Jesus. Of course, he doesn't have great wealth, he has to give up. That makes it easier in some ways, but he's willing to follow Jesus. This beggar, he's actually supposed to be a model for it. This is model discipleship. He's responding to Jesus in exactly the right way. What's he doing Recognizes his helplessness, begs Jesus for mercy, and then responds by praising God and following Jesus. The second interaction is a little bit similar. Another man can't see Jesus. Although this time it's for a different reason. Zacchaeus is too short. And because he's a hated tax collector, people are not going to. Make way for him so that he can see Jesus. They'll sort of stand directly in front of him or something like that, but he's determined, so he climbs up a tree. Chapter 19 and verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now when Jesus gets to him, to everyone's horror, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' place. It's uh, an acceptance of uh, of Zacchaeus, a willingness to enter into fellowship with him, willing to be in relationship with him. Everyone is horrified, but Zacchaeus is thrilled. And in response to Jesus' gracious acceptance, he acts with Quite extraordinary generosity and justice. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, I know the accountants are spinning figures around in their head, how's this going to work? But I, I don't think that's the idea. This, this, this is meant to just be a, This is a big turnaround, isn't it? Zacchaeus, he's, he's, he's wealthy. He's spent his whole life chasing money, enriching himself, and now he's willing to give it all away. Now he's willing to right all his wrongs. Why? Well, he's not trying to earn Jesus' acceptance. Jesus is already there for lunch. He's already accepted Zacchaeus. He's not trying to pay Jesus off. No, no. This is Zacchaeus' response to being graciously accepted by Jesus. This is Zacchaeus' response to seeing Jesus do the impossible with him. His heart has been transformed. His love for money has been replaced. And it gladly, joyfully overflows into this lavish generosity. And then Jesus takes the opportunity to tell us something about his mission. Doesn't matter what Zacchaeus has done, he's still a child of Abraham. He's a sinner, he's a traitor, he's a thief and a rip off merchant, he's a bad person, but he's still a son of Abraham. What does that mean? Well, again, Abraham is the Abraham in the book of Genesis. And of course, he's, what, 1800 years before Zacchaeus, so he's not a direct son. But again, it's got to do with the promises. Remember the promises that God made to Abraham? Through, you I'll, through your seed, I'll bless the whole world. Jesus says that Zacchaeus can still be saved, he can be part of God's promises to bless the world. Why? Well, because Jesus can do the impossible, he can give sinners a place in God's eternal kingdom. And that is what he came to do, Jesus says to seek and to save the lost. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Again, I think this response of Zacchaeus, it's meant to be a model. Uh, We've sort of had... the the rich ruler who was kind of the very best person you can think of. Well, now we've got Zacchaeus, he's kind of the very worst person you can think of. But like the persistent widow, he perseveres in wanting to see Jesus. He comes to Jesus with no expectation, no expectation that Jesus will accept him. No doubt he thought Jesus would hate him like everybody else does. But Jesus loved him. Jesus graciously accepted him. And then in response, Zacchaeus is... Changed man. Doesn't hold back. Responds with joyful generosity and justice. All right. We can see what's here then in this passage uh, today that we've been looking at. Uh, First there was Peter. He's, He's worried. Worried that he's made a mistake in giving up everything for Jesus if it's impossible for people to save themselves. But Jesus assures him it's worth it. It's worth it. A second scene, Jesus, for the sixth time, says that he's on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and die, then to rise again. His kingdom's not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. A third scene is the beggar in Jericho. He begs Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on him. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And then he follows Jesus, praising God. And then final scene, Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see Jesus. Jesus invites him over, accepts him, And then in response, Zacchaeus shows extravagant generosity and a willingness to right his past wrongs. And Jesus says that he's come to seek and save the lost. Okay, well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves Uh, on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I reckon this is an important passage. It's an important passage because Luke is actually setting this up as these are kind of two model disciples, particularly the beggar, and, um, and Zacchaeus, also Peter and the disciples as well. Here's the model response. Uh, so I think this passage shows us very, very clearly who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how to respond. This is a passage all about who Jesus is and what a Christian is. It's foundational, vitally important stuff. Uh, who is Jesus from this passage? Well, what have we seen? Son of David son of david that's what the beggar called him this is the king promised in the old testament who will rule god's kingdom forever what else have we seen he's lord did you notice uh, both zacchaeus and the beggar call him lord and what did jesus come to do to seek and save the lost to give sight to the blind, to, to make it possible for sinful people to get to heaven. How did he do it? By going to Jerusalem, suffering and dying on the cross, bearing the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin, and then rising again from the dead, never to die again, the eternal king in God's eternal kingdom. Now, I know that's all kind of unsurprising, But it's pretty amazing, isn't it? The Messiah, the eternal King in God's kingdom, has come to seek and save the lost. It's good news. This passage is also very important, though, for understanding how we should respond. How should we respond to Jesus? First thing, as we saw last week, we need to recognize that we are lost that we are blind we are sinners we we haven't loved god with all our heart soul mind and strength we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves we're spiritually lost spiritually blind can't find our way into god's kingdom we're a bit like sean in the bush we can't find our own way home recognize that we're lost second thing second thing call on jesus to help In the bush, Sean had to call emergency services. He'd still be there if he hadn't called emergency services. It's it's the only thing that could save him. Well, in the same way, we need to call on Jesus to save us, like the beggar, beg King Jesus to have mercy on us. We need to talk to God. We need to say to God, God, I am blind. I am lost. I cannot save myself. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again for me. Please forgive me. Please give me a place in heaven. We need to beg for Jesus to save us. He's the only one who can. And then third, we should respond by living generous, just lives. Like Peter and the disciples, willing to give up anything for Jesus. Like the beggar, follow Jesus, praise God. Like Zacchaeus, right the wrongs we've done, be generous. Now again, I know this is not... Earth-shattering news that you've never heard before. Realise that you're lost. Call on Jesus to rescue you, then live for him. That's not new, but, but that's what it's all about again, isn't it? That is being a Christian. This is a model response that Luke is giving us. This is what being a Christian is all about. But friends, the point I want to finish with is this. And it flows from the way that Luke tells the story, uh, from the way that these people, Peter and the beggar and Zacchaeus, respond to Jesus. The point is this. This is not kind of dry, dusty theology. You know, as Luke gives us the model of what it is to be a Christian, it's not kind of sitting in a library and nutting out you know, propitiation and uh, substitutionary <laughs> atonement or something like that, is it? No, no, no. Being blind but then seeing... That's, that's an emotional experience. Be, be, being lost but then found, that's an emotional experience. I remember the following week, Sean was back in Bible study with us and he was quite emotional. He said, uh, he said I thought you'd, I'd never see you guys again. <laughs> said, I thought I was going to die out in that bush. He said, I've never been this thrilled to be in Bible study before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this news about jesus is not something to just know it isn 't even something to just obey like oh, i 'll serve Jesus if I really have to now this is something to this is something to delight in like that beggar can 't help himself but praise God like Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus gladly gladly gives away everything he 's lived for like Peter and disciples and the disciples gladly chuck in everything to follow jesus if you really understand what it is to be helpless but then helped by Jesus. If you really want to understand what it was to be blind and then given sight by Jesus. If you really understand what it was to be lost but then found by Jesus. That's not just going to impact you academically, is it? And it should produce in us a profound gratitude and a deep love for Jesus. Friends, I know it's old news, but I hope we never lose the wonder. Now, last week uh, in the football, the Parramatta Eels won a place in today's grand final. I have to say it led to some emotional scenes. And there was one scene in particular that really struck me. Have a look. Your team off to the side of tears of joy in Townsville tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. Buddy and Panther from Sydney Olympic Park. so over the top <laughs> so over the top but friends i know, I know it's, it's not it, it's just it's psychologically not possible to be like that all the time it's 36 years since the eels uh, won a premiership once in 36 years probably it's easy to be like that but of course it's not easy to live in constant delight like that as a christian but seriously if a silly game of football can lead to such delight how much more should we just be delighting And what Jesus has done for us. We once were lost, but now are found. We're blind, but now we see. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you really have been extraordinarily kind to us. As we reflect on just how lost we were without Jesus, and how found we are with him, Lord, that, that's really quite thrilling, quite wonderful. And uh, eternity's not going to be enough to praise you and thank you. Uh, but here and now, Lord, as we re- reflect on your goodness to us in Christ, we do want to say thank you very much. And we do want to live for you, not, not uh, kind of resentfully, but with, with joy and with gratitude and with love and with hope. So help us. Uh, Help us, please save us, and please help us to respond to you uh, with with joyful love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.